This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Leo Blasey talks about sexuality in the culture and in the church. How should parents react to a child who thinks they are not the same sex they were born with? What leads to same-sex attraction? How can all of us respond in love? Well, let's find out. Father Leo is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. We are talking with Father Leo Blasey. He is going to talk about sexuality in the culture and in the church. Father Leo Blasey is an earthly father and grandfather. After his wife died, he entered the priesthood and was ordained June 3rd of 2017 at Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina. Father, Father Leo is a retired from the U.S. Army, where he was a mechanic, then a helicopter pilot, and eventually a maintenance test pilot. Currently, Father Leo is the pastor of Sacred Heart Church in Plainville and St. Thomas Church in Stockton. He is also the diocesan chaplain for Courage and Encourage. So, wow, what a, what an introduction. You've got a whole <laughs> lot of things going on, don't you, Father? I do. Uh, um, nice. Uh, we know that all good things begin with prayer. So would you lead us in a prayer? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we ask you to be with us and to to move us to be a reflection of your love in the world. We know that you love all that you have made, all that you have created, and we ask you to, to help us to bless that creation in all that we say and all that we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So before we dive into your topic, do you want to share a little bit about Courage and Encourage, or is that going to blend into your topic? You know, courage and Encourage are programs for, for those that are same-sex attracted and, and are of the homosexual persuasion to to seek out and to receive guidance from the church. Um, like Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon, Courage and Encourage are, are two sides of the same coin. Courage is for those that, that have the, the addiction and the, the encourage is for the family members and those that they love that, mm. that, that need assistance with how to how to help them be who God called them to be. So excellent, uh, excellent. Let's talk about your topic: sexuality in the culture and in the church. So, with all that's happening in the culture uh, and in the church, oh my gosh! Especially with the German bishops, can you tell us why sexuality is such a big deal? Absolutely. Um, so, first off, this is open to questions throughout the whole hour. So if somebody has a question or, or wants to get a response on something, they can call in. Or if you have a question or something that you would like to comment on, please feel free to to, to speak up at the time so we don't have to wait and try to think of it later on. Just, just go ahead and bring it up and we'll be good with that. So as always on every topic, it's always better to start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So we will start at the beginning of, okay. Ge- of Genesis. Ah, um, okay. In, in, the, the in the beginning, yeah, exactly. <laughs> God created man, and technically, you know that that is a proper term. But it, if we want to understand it better, in the beginning, God created mankind, mm-hmm. and God made mankind in His image and likeness. Yes. So all of humanity was in one person originally. Adam, who means which means of the earth, was all of humanity together, and then. After God allowed man to look at all of the created beings and, and decide that there was no proper helpmate for him among the other created creatures, he put man to sleep 
and he divided mankind into man and woman, made in the image of God. And God did that recognizing that it is not good for us to be alone. It says that in the scriptures. And so, but the, the man and woman that God created, he intended to be in a relationship that signifies and resembles the relationship that the Father has with the Son. We, we have to recognize that, that God the Father and God the Son, their, their relationship is more intimate than any possible relationship that we can possibly think of as a, as a, as a created being. Yeah. But God's desire was for us to be able to imitate that, and so much so that we are allowed in the imitation of that to be part of the creative activity in procreation. And one thing that, that we don't think about often when we, when we think about that act of procreation is that we are participating in the creation of an eternal being. You know, when, when other animals procreate, they have other animals, but, but they are only here for the time that they are here, and then they are gone. Right. The procreation of a human being is the bringing into creation an eternal being, a being that's going to live forever. So we look at the universe around us and, and everything that is created, everything that we can physically see and interact with in the world and, and in the universe, one day will not be here anymore. But every person will, is an eternal being and has therefore has more value than all of the universe and all the other universes that are out there. Yeah. Every person is more valuable than all of that. So each one of us. That's why the church takes such a strong stance on abortion and, and euthanasia and the, the ending of human life outside of the normal end of human life that God has put out there. And it's also why we take such a strong position about what it means to be in relationship with each other because, again, we are to be the imitation of the love of, of the Father and the Son. One of the things that, that I remember from very early on in my adulthood, though, was as and while I was still a layperson, was there was a there's a church in Topeka. I don't know if it even still exists or not anymore. But it, back in the mid '90s, they were making national publicity. They were called Westboro Baptist Church. Yes. And they said that God hated people. God hated people mm -hmm. for their beliefs. Not mm -hmm. God doesn't hate every person, but. Their pronunciation was that God hated people when they did this or that or the other thing. Yeah. Now, they don't know God because God can't hate. God is love, and all that he can do is involved in that love. And so God doesn't hate any person. God does not love things that are evil, but we still can't, by the definition that we understand in in modern United States of America, we can't say that God hates because that's just a, a, in total opposition to, to who God is. Mm -hmm. Not just what God is, but who God is. God is love. God always loves. So when we begin a discussion on sexuality, it's always important to, to point out that, that God loves you, mm -hmm. every one of you. If you are hearing this mm -hmm. today, God loves you. And he wants to spend eternity with you in relationship more intimate than what we can possibly imagine on this earth. Yeah. But in order to be able to participate in that relationship, we have to 
succeed to what God has defined as good, because we can't be with God unless we are good. God is good. God is love. Unless we love and unless we are good, we cannot be with God. Not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Enough to let us make choices on our own. So, so that's the beginning. God created us because he loves us. God made us who we are as human beings, male and female, because he loves us and because he wants us to be able to love like he loves. And so he made us beings that are capable of doing that and, and living in that love in this life so that we can understand what it means to love for eternal life. And so where do we go from there? Well, let's talk about what things are not in God's plan. What is not in God's plan is for us to abuse ourselves or others. God's plan is for us to, to love each other. That means, so we define what, is, define what love is and what is love. You got a definition of love? God is love. You already said uh, yeah. that. So no, I don't that's, know. That's the ultimate definition, but... Yeah. But how is God in that love? What, what is he constantly doing that defines him? He's totally giving himself. Giving, yeah. In, in every moment, in every day. Yeah. Total self-giving. That's the, the ultimate definition of love is total mm-hmm. self-giving. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in the world today, in the English language, we define love as many, many things um, – we talk about loving a popsicle or loving a particular kind of candy or that's not love that's a a taste or a an affection but that's not love as as we define it with our relationship with god so can we love something like we love each other and like we love god no Physical created things that are not animated, we cannot love in the same way as we love living creatures that God has created. And in the same way, we can't love an animal that doesn't have an immortal soul in the same way that we love each other who, who will live forever together. So I can't love my car. I can't love my dog. I can't love... Um, the horse or the fish or the other thing that's in my life in the same way that I love God and have that relationship with him. But because human beings are made in the image and likeness of God, we can love each other in the same way that God loves us and that we are called to love God. And so, But in order to do that, we have to do it in the way that God designed it. And the reality is is that man and woman are complementary of each other. We are different. As much as the world says the only difference is a, a social construct, that is not true. And we are different down to our very DNA. Every cell of our bodies has a DNA strand in it that tells us who we are. It's an instruction manual. And if that instruction manual was printed out, the pages would go from here to the sun. It's not a short book that says who we are and what we are to be in this world according to God's plan. And so 
we can't arbitrarily say that we're going to ignore that instruction manual. We can change the way that we look. We can change the way that we act. But we can't change every cell in our body. We can surgically make ourselves look like a cat or a dog or, or the opposite sex. But that doesn't change who we are down to our very cells. And so we can deny that. We can, we can try to change that. We can say that we don't feel like that. But the reality is that God created us to be who we are, either male or female. Yeah. And are there anomalies within our, our genetic code that impact the way that we feel about that, the way we understand ourselves? Yes, there are. So people say, well, God made me the way that I am. And God is good, so the way that I am has to be good. Well, I know a lot of people that are born with holes in their heart. And if you say that God made a person the way that they are, then you would say, well, we're just going to let that child live with that hole in their heart. We're not going to do anything to, to fix it, to, to remedy the, the defect caused by sin, not by God's plan, but by sin, the defect in that child that caused there to be a hole in their heart. Mm-hmm. We're going to fix it. I know a number of people that are born with cleft palates. Cleft palates are catastrophic in the way that it causes people to have to live their life if they they remain that way. They were born that way, but God didn't design them to be that way, and God doesn't want them to, to have to live that way if we can possibly remedy it. So when people have cleft palates and, and hair lips, we... We repair that because we love them and we want them to be able to live their best life. So if, and that's a big if on some of the stuff, we'll go a little bit deeper into that, but if we were born the way that we are and our attractions are what they are because of the way that we were born, first off does not mean that God wants us to be that way. And secondly, it doesn't mean that we have to leave it that way when we have the ability to to make it better. Mm. So then we've got to define better. Mm. What What's better or worse? Is it better to allow a sick person to be sick or to make them well? Whether that's physically or mentally, it's always better to help them be well because that's the way that they're going to be able to live the best life that they have. And so... We encourage those who understand that those things differently than we do to, to understand how God made them and why God made them the way that they are. And to know that we love them even in their struggles. You know, I have lived a life full of struggles. You, you, you heard my introduction. A lot of things happened. My, my wife passed away. Um, during her life, we, we dealt with a lot of things with, with her life and her um, cancers and, and her addictions. I've got a daughter who has cerebral palsy. I've got two grandsons and, and a granddaughter who have um, autism. And we're doing what we can to make their life better. Now, Danielle and, and my daughters know that I talk about this, and they've always been very open about the, the issues that they've had in their life. Danielle is the daughter that has cerebral palsy. And we were told very early in her life, like she was about 
four months old that that she had cerebral palsy. And at the time, cerebral palsy was thought to have been a birth defect. Now, today, most doctors would say that cerebral palsy is caused by a traumatic event at birth, Mm -hmm. sometime during the birthing process. And they said, um, if she continues on the path that she's on, she will never walk. And she will struggle with with a, a lot of physical things. But you can do these exercises with her, these stretches and these things, and you will be able to vastly improve her quality of life. And so, and I've got to give my wife most of the credit for this because she was at home working with her and I was working out out in the in a career field. Every day we did those stretches with Danielle. Mm-hmm. And today she is able to walk. Most people wouldn't know that she had cerebral palsy from the way that she's able to physically move. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got some slurred speech and she's got some other issues that that make it hard for her to to do things in the normal way, but Danielle doesn't know that there are any limitations for her in this life. She she does what she wants to do. Um, when she was in her late teens, we, we spoke with the state and about some programs that they had available for people with cerebral palsy, and they, they tried to tell us, well, there's no reason to send her to college. There's no reason to do some other things. We're going to just put her in this program, and it'll give her a job to do and, and some other stuff. And, and that's not what Danielle wanted to do. Danielle wanted to go to college, um, and she wanted to be her intent was to be either in the military or a police officer. She finished her criminology degree at Wichita State. She has that degree, and she's working in um, the security field now, which is not a police officer or the military, but she is very happy with the job that she has. Her employers love her, and you know, she is living the, the best life that she can imagine living. And we could have just let it go at, at early on in her life and she could have been who she was going to be stuck in a wheelchair and not able to do things but that would not have been what was best for her yeah. all right so um for most of human history sexuality was about family about having children and, and raising children and and increasing the population of the world god told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and cover the face of the earth. And so most of human history, sexuality has been about that. Um, it's only been recently in the, in the modern era where life is much easier. People don't have to live their entire day focused on putting food on the table in the evening. That, that sexuality has expanded beyond and in some cases been detracted from the, the historical and, and the biblical understanding of sexuality. Um, we, would bla- we blame the sexual revolution on the 1960s, but actually there was a lot of stuff going on before that into the, the late 1900s or 1800s, I'm sorry, with the start of producing contraceptives and the acceptance, especially in the, the Western cultures, of the use of contraceptives as a way of preventing childbirth. And the, the church from the very beginning when contraceptives came out predicted that that was going to be a catastrophic event in, in the way that, that families live and, and are able to, to interact with each other. And the biggest thing that contraceptives has, has propelled 
is that you don't have to be married anymore mm. to have sex because you don't have to worry about having kids. Yeah. Well, the reality of it is that that's a lie mm. because even with contraceptives, women get pregnant. Mm. It's the reason that we've aborted almost 700 million babies yeah. and, and worldwide over a billion babies in the last 120 years yeah. um, because contraceptives don't always work. But it also allows for if you do get married and you decide you don't like the person that you chose to be married to, that you can be divorced. Uh, contraceptives have, have pushed the, the degradation of the family and the, the degradation of marriage to a point where it's almost unrecognizable today as what it was for most of human history. Uh, to a point where in the United States we feel like it's okay to redefine marriage. We changed the definition because it's not what we wanted it to be. Well, I'm sorry, but marriage is what God made it to be. The first time we see marriage in, in human history is with Adam and Eve. Before there were any churches, before there were any governments, before there were any dictionaries that said what words are, God defined marriage. And we don't have the right or the, the mental capability to define what to redefine what God has already defined. And so if we want to do that, then, then that's on us, but that doesn't mean that anybody has to accept the way that we want to define something. So sexuality has become a plaything because we are too lazy to go out and do the, the good things that God's called us to do. And so the way that we, we want to find happiness is in the simple instant gratification things that we can do in our lives that that we think are gonna make us happy at the current moment in time. Well, if you wanna know what the, the current sexuality in the Western world does to people, all we, have, we don't have to look any further than Hollywood. Hollywood has the richest of the rich, has the people that have the big houses and all the cars they want, all the, the material things that they possibly want. They're constantly divorcing and remarrying. They are depressed at twice the rate of the rest of the population. They commit suicide all the time. If those things were going to make us happy, why aren't those people happy? Because that's not what's going to make us happy. But when you redefine marriage and you break down the family, then, then you can choose the way you want to live. And that's what has led us to the, the rate of couples living together that, that are not married, which is sinful in the eyes of the church. The divorce rate among Catholics and, and Protestants is almost identical at 55%. More than half of the people that get married get divorced. Now, I look at our young people and I say, no wonder they don't want to get married. If, if there's better than a 50, 50 chance that my marriage that I intended for life is not going to work out that way, why would I want to get married? Yeah. Well, the thing to do is to fix the understanding and, and the ability to to be married and to stay married, not to decide not to get married because it's part of God's plan for us to be married. Yeah. Um, there are only a few individuals in the world that God calls to a, a life other than married life. Um, priests and nuns are, are part of that population and the scriptures say that it is better not to be married if you can live that way, but that does not include the majority of people. Mm. 
so sexuality has decayed along with the family through the, the process that we've gone through in the Western world over the last hundred years to a point where now we're defining even individual sexuality and, and making it what we want it to be. And doing that, we are denying who we are and what we are and what we were made to be. And that is not healthy. So I've got a child who likes to cut themselves. Do I allow them to do that? They get pleasure from it. I don't understand how that works, but that's, am I going to correct them or not? I'm going to correct them. I have a child who has an affinity for something that's poisonous to them, drugs or, or whatever it is. Do I allow them to use those drugs or do I, do I help them to understand the harm that they are doing to themselves? In the same way, a, a child who has gender confusion or um, identity confusion, my obligation as a parent is to help them to understand what is going on in their mind and, and why they're thinking that way and to help them to understand that there is a, a way that is healthy that is not going to lead to their destruction. Now, here are some numbers as far as gender, gender identity um, that a lot of people don't know. Depression among those who have gender identity disorder is three times what it is for the rest of the population. People who have gender identity disorders who are able to function are four times the rate of the average population and having to have therapy, going to see a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and they're four times as likely to commit suicide. So is that a healthy decision to, to, to try to be that way? I would say that it's not. And I would say that truly in order to love a person who has those issues is to help them to understand them so that they can grow beyond them, not so that they can stay where they are and continue the path that they're on. We'll go back to my family again. My daughter who has cerebral palsy also during her teen years had gender identity disorder. She wanted to be a boy, and she dressed like a boy, and she acted like a boy, and at one point while I was gone for a year in the military, she made the decision that she was going to have gender transition surgery. Mm. Um, fortunately, she was able to come to us and talk to us, both my wife and I, and tell us what she was thinking and why she was thinking it, and we, we listened to her and we loved her. In, in her thoughts, um, but we were able to actually produce numbers that showed her that her decisions were not going to be healthy for her and that um, that she would be dependent on drugs and on doctors for the rest of her life to continue the path that she was planning to go down. And, and she decided, based on the information that we were able to give her, that, that she would not do the reassignment surgery. Now, Danielle is very much a tomboy. She she doesn't like dresses. She won't dress up. She doesn't wear makeup. But Danielle today knows that she is a girl, and she's living her life that way, and, um, and she's got the support and love of her family in being who she is. But allowing her to um, mutilate her body because of the way that she felt was neither loving nor good. Yeah. And so we, we had to sit her down and have that discussion with her. Nobody ridiculed her. Nobody 
condemned her or hated her because of the things that she was feeling, but, um, but she needed to know the truth. So why is it that so many people today feel that they are a different sex or, or a different animal? We've got people that have transitioned to, to cats and dogs, like I said. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with more about sexuality and the culture and in the church with Father Leo Blazy. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Father Leo Blasey. Sexuality in the culture and in the church. Kelly Roper conducts the interview. All right, so we are going to go back to Father Leo Blasey. Okay, so the, uh, we can go back. I mentioned earlier that we, we do more with our feelings now than we ever have in history. Up, up until 150 years ago, feelings were just something that we, we had in our daily lives. But today, feelings drive who we are in the Western world and, and the decisions that we make. And the reality is that, that feelings are notoriously wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, fear can lead us to do things that, that we shouldn't do, that we don't want to do. Our thoughts about love can, can lead us into relationships that are dangerous and problematic. But today in the, in the world, people think that, well, I feel this way, so I should be able to go this way. The reality is that's not healthy in many, many ways. Today we have more people that are identifying as as different genders than what they are um, and want to live in relationships that are different from, from what we traditionally have. And that the reason that they say is because this is how they feel. Well, how are our, our feelings and our affections developed? Are they something that we're born with? Are they something that we develop in life? Um, and the reality is, is there's some of both of those. We are, we are born, you know, the chemical makeup of our bodies and the components and the way that we live have a lot to do with, with who we become in life. But a lot of the things that we feel and, and understand in life are based on events in our lives. Um, and more often than not, the long-lasting traits in our life are developed by traumatic events. Mm-hmm. I talked about my daughter's traumatic event that happened in, at birth that, that caused her to have cerebral palsy. Um, those t- same type of traumatic events change the way that we process things that happen in our lives. One of the biggest arguments that I get from from the homosexuals is, I was born this way. I've been this way all my life. Nobody would choose to, to feel the way that I feel and, and to want the things that I want. And and I feel for, for those who understand their lives that way. And I understand that, you know, my wife was an addict and she would not have chosen to be an addict, but she was addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that she should be allowed to do drugs whenever she wanted to. In the same way with the, with our sexual attractions. Um, now, the first thing I want to say is that same-sex attraction in and of itself is not sinful. We don't choose the things that we like or dislike. I understand that I used to love tomatoes, mm-hmm. but the first 
thing that I can remember in my life with tomatoes was the day that I probably ate two pounds of them. And <laughs> the acid ate my face off. <laughs> to, to, Not literally, but, no, but, but it felt I like mean, it. Just, <laughs> my yeah, whole yeah. face was red and, and yeah. blistered and... Huh. I don't like tomatoes. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> um, those same type of traumatic events cause a lot of who we are and, and the way that we feel about things in our lives, whether it's the physical things or whether it's the, the, the affections that we have. Events in our lives pl play a major role in, in how we interact with, with other things and other people in the world. Mm. Uh, and so same-sex attraction, for whatever reason a person is attracted to same sex, was not a decision that they made. I didn't make the decision not to like tomatoes. That was made for me by the physical reaction that I had. Uh, but by the same token, I recognize it for what it is. Tomatoes are not going to hurt me. I just don't like them. I live with that, and I understand that. Uh, the same way with people that have attractions to people that are the same sex. Something, whether it's the, the hormones in their bodies or whether it's a traumatic event that happened early in life that they may or may not remember, or whether it's been repetitive events in their life that have caused them to, to like particular traits, which might or might not be um, more dominant in, the, in the, either the, the sex that they are or the, the opposite sex is what causes them to be attracted to, to those things. And that should not drive our lives. Mm -hmm. We can choose whether we allow those to drive our lives or not. Uh, and if, the, if those feelings and those expressions are not healthy, we need to recognize that, and we need to avoid them. Again, my, my wife was a, a drug addict for much of her life, and... It was not healthy. Mm -hmm. And the best thing for her to do would have been to choose to distance herself from those situations that, that caused her to want to use those drugs. And for the most part, she did that. Yeah. Unfortunately, there were times and, and there were people that, that came into her life that, that led her down the wrong road and, and she fell prey to, to the, the addictions that she had. Um, but because she was a because she loved the drugs and the way they made her feel, that in itself was not a sin for her. It was when she gave in to the, the compulsion to, to use those drugs and to damage her body through the use of those drugs that it became problematic. And it's the same way in the, in the attractions that we have to other things and other people. We have to recognize first that events in our lives are what have led us to that attraction and the ones that are dangerous for us or that are not good for us, we need to make the decision to avoid, to get away from it. Yeah. That's part of the act of contrition that we pray in the church all the time, is I promise to amend my life and to avoid those things that lead me to the near occasion of sin. Yeah. There's a reason that we have that in the prayer in the church, is because that's the way that we need to live our lives. We need to avoid those things that are going to cause us problems. But when we make the decision, do we need to go to something else? Or? There are two different things that we need to talk about. The first one is the induced drugs that go into our body. Um, we eat much more processed food today than we have ever in the history of the world. But my, my twin daughters both had hirsutism as 
a trait when they were we diagnosed it with it when they were 10 years old. And the, the first thing that the doctors decided to do was put them on, guess what? Birth control. Birth control. Yeah. yeah. At 10 years old. Yeah. Just filling their bodies with hormones. Yeah. Now, at the time that they were diagnosed, there was another treatment that was a treatment that was that's used for... Um, well, what is the sickness with sugar? Uh, diabetes. Diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't even think about that. Mm. Glucophage is the name of the drug that, that they use now mostly for hirsutism. But um, they didn't offer that. It, it took me going and looking around to find out that there was another treatment besides the birth control pills for, yeah. for hirsutism. So, um, and... I brought up to the doctor the things that I had heard about the, the problems with cancer. You know, my wife had breast cancer, so I was concerned with my daughters that, that birth control might cause cancer in them, and the doctor downplayed that. Mm. Um, why? Yeah. Because medical school is paid for largely by pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Pharmaceutical companies play a, a major, major role in the media today and sponsoring and birth control is something that they want women to be on for the rest of their life yeah and, 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 and don't you think too that it's like in our our water and stuff because women have been on it for so long well, you know they've proven that that fish are being negatively impacted by the, the estrogen that's in the water um so yes I, I think very definitely especially in those places where they they use water that's surface water treated for the city waters, which is most of our major cities. Those hormones and, and other chemicals are in the water. Yeah. But the political and the media noise is most largely funded by doctors and by mm -hmm. pharmaceutical companies because they recognize that they will be able to get people to, to use their drugs and their practices for the rest of their life. Yeah. That's not healthy, yeah. you know. But just go to your doctor and and give them a complaint. And what are they going to do when you give them a complaint? First thing they're going to do is prescribe a pill for you. Yeah. They're they're not going to tell you, well, you need to do this and this and this to change your life and to to make things better. They're going to give you a drug and say, just take this drug. So we treat. We treat symptoms, we don't heal issues. Right. We are far better off if we heal the issues that cause the problems today in our lives and for the rest of our lives. Yeah. But that's not the medical system that we have in place today. The medical system that we have to, in place today is treat the symptoms, give them the prescription for the rest of their life. Yeah. So we got roughly 3% of the population, less than 3% of the population is is homosexual and less than one percent of the pop population is identifies as transgender or gender dysphoric um, but the media gives them the loudest voice because mm. the media wants to keep us stirred up for one thing that's the the whole idea i, I tell my prisoners all the time turn the stupid tv off because yeah. that's all they're doing if they can keep people agitated they can keep them watching and that's what they that's what their objective is so um and then we, you mentioned early on the, the German bishops and the, the what we have to recognize in Germany is that the church is dying there. Um, 
the the white population of Germany, the 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 German population from from the last thousand years is is dying out, and the the population that's rising over there is Muslims. And there's you know I don't have a problem with the Muslims, but the church is responding to a decline in numbers, and the way that some people have made the decision is that they can improve that is by allowing things that that are not valid. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not going to be the answer, um, and it's only going to lead to a further decline in the church in Germany. Um, and we need to pay attention to that in the rest of the world. We we cannot give in to the the world's urges in order to defend ourselves from a declining population in the church. What we have to do is speak the truth in love and encourage courage and encourage our programs that, that do that. There are other programs within the church and and in the in a number of the, the medical disciplines that, that help with that too. But you know, the bottom line is we can't lie ourselves into a, a good situation. We we have to tell the truth and we have to love each other. If we could all just do that the world would be a wonderful place to live. Yeah, yeah, and and I think you are a perfect example of that because I can tell that you have a lot of love for for your neighbor, for all those that you are serving um, now in your role as a priest. After being a father and still a, a you know still a father, still a grandfather, after being a husband, you are just continuing in your role, and and uh, so I see a lot of love coming from you. Thank you very much. Lord God, we ask you to be with us today, to descend upon us and to to open our hearts to your love and your truth. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may spread the fire of your love to all the world so that all may know you and love you as as we do. And we ask you just to to descend upon us and and guide us into all truth. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. If you're a business or service that can support this Double-Edged Sword show, please note that your underwriting will run three times during the show, which runs five times a week. Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM, Lindsborg Salina, 101.7 KMDG Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KBDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.